You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! If your friends are nerdy and you are nerdy too, I want to talk to you. Friends Talking Nerdy! On a very blustery day, we welcome you to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim the Nerd, and across the table here we have Here Holiness, who is eating a wonderful sandwich. <laughs> do, Reverend Tracy. How are you doing? Oh, yes. Warranted breakfast. Wake up. 31 mile an hour wind, I think is what we got. Like, vertical rain. So, um, horizontal rain, I should say, because vertical would be, like, normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, pretty crazy. So this is the Friday... That the storm, the once-in-a-generation storm, is hitting America. And it's really funny, because everywhere else it's getting really cold. And here, it's, like, going to be in the 50s and raining, where all of our snow that was on the ground and in the backyard is now gone, because the rain has washed it away. But I did think it was cute. Uh, One of my Texas friends, one of my besties, called me yesterday while I was at work. And so I plug in an earphone, like, earbud, and, like, talking to her. And uh, she was saying, I was like, I saw snow. I'm seeing your weather. And I was like, in my head, like, well, I mean, it does snow in Texas sometimes. It's not that crazy. But, you know, she was talking about, you know, the expected, like, single-digit degrees. And they're not used to that in Texas. This is the kind of stuff that might close down their power grid again. And uh, it was kind of funny because I was telling her, I was like, yeah, you know, Jared and I, the Mr. Reverend and I, have really lucked out in that respect because we're campers. We're, we're outdoorsy people, so we have a stove. We have a way to boil water. Because your water doesn't normally shut off. It's the electricity that's in danger. <laughs> and she goes, well, yeah, like, we've got some ramen, and, and we've got a kettle that just makes hot water. I'm like, but do you plug in the kettle? And she went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, it might be kind of interesting to see how this literally hits some people. Because there are a lot of people who aren't used to this stuff. Yeah, check the flight pass for uh, Ted Cruz fleeing to Cancun again. This, this <laughs> right, winter. catch fights, not feelings. Like, that's Ted Cruz's answer to when things go wrong in Texas. Like, well, why don't y'all just do what I do and just hop a flight to somewhere more pleasant for the moment? Just, just give, you know, pull up your bootstraps, everybody, yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting because we're getting a break from the cold today. And everyone, it's like we're flipping weather with people, so. Uh, for a day, yeah. But uh, by tonight, as we record this, I believe it's going to be like 18 degrees mm-hmm. out and depending on um, I, it's good that the, you know it's going to be in the 50s and with the rain um, you know a lot of the snow that we have will probably be washed away but my concern is ice more than anything and I say oh, that yeah. as someone who walks to work so. very true I mean I'm at least glad that they brined the streets here mm-hmm. so they will probably do that this evening because that's what they do when they want to make sure we don't have pools of ice up on our streets but, you know, in nature, a lot of the cars going over the streets are clearing it. But, yeah, like, you would be kind of a little bit boned on the sidewalks. That's that's the concern. Yeah, I mean, for the few sidewalks that are here. <laughs> but um, that's the benefit of having the job I have. It is close enough. That's all I care about, yeah. you know. But we are here today, folks. When this episode is released, it will be released on the very last day of 2022. So we wanted to do something a little fun, a little uh, little lightweight 
break compared to what we normally do here, we wanted to talk about our Spotify Unwrapped for the year. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, before we dive into that, though, um, being that we are a podcast that works with Anchor, um, which is owned by Spotify, they actually have um, their own version of the Unwrapped that they give to podcasters as well. So, um, you know, we have a few stats here that we can uh, tell you all uh, that we are definitely proud of. Um, like, first of, all, first of all, we created 3,443 minutes of new content, which is more than 99% of other creators in the health and fitness category. Hmm. You know, I mean, that's the benefit of, you know, being uh, putting out content on a weekly basis. Even if it happens to be something from the archive, you know we're here. Right. And we do just, in case anybody was curious, the reason we fall under health and fitness is because we got named one of the mental health podcasts because we do touch on that topic quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, and obviously we, you know, we make we make it clear we're not like licensed therapists or anything like that. So it's mental health issues in terms of everyday life for you know people in our age group, really. You know, and if it's great if people in other age groups listen as well. Of course, not the, t- telling you to go away, but you know, it's 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 the, yeah. I mean, I think it's about having to how, how to navigate this little thing called life. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and. Another stat here, our podcast was in the top 30% most shared globally, with the highest percentage being a direct link. So, you know, that could be something like uh, sending it to somebody via, via like Facebook Messenger or something like that, or maybe even on a social media post. But, you know, that is nice to see that a lot of the sharing is being, you know, done person to person. Nice, yeah, because that would have been like just taking a link and sharing it anywhere. So it's not just like, oh, taking a link. Because I know I sometimes will try to take the link on Spotify and share it, but we don't necessarily share it like on the weekly post on our page. So I think that does say something. Mm-hmm. Those shares aren't all us. Because I don't even share the Spotify link every single time, so. Yeah, and I I know in the past I've, uh, you know, with the show promotion, tried to direct people to the website. And I think with the new year, I'm going to change that up a little bit um, to make it a little more streamlined for everything that we offer here, mm-hmm. too, you know. But um, another, uh, th- another stat here, we are in a 30% most followed podcast at Hmm. the 27% range. Nice. You know, so that is nice to see. And um, this year we had a 107% uh, gain in listeners compared to the previous year. Um, We're not trying to uh, proclaim that we're, you know, anywhere near Joe Rogan. We're not saying that, Mm -hmm. but still having that high of of a jump year over year is definitely something to be proud of. Yeah, we want to keep going for that. Like, not necessarily going out and finding different ways to advertise or anything, so it's kind of nice because that's been kind of a natural pickup. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. And the last stat here is um, f- we are in the top 10 podcast for 31 people. Mm. We're a top five podcast for 22 people. And we're the number one podcast for seven people. <laughs> I'm probably one of those people. <laughs> I probably am too. But, you know, the fact that you got five other people that, you know, we're, we're their number one podcast, you know, that is something. And then 22 people in the top five. It's also really good, yeah. Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, we did had one hell of a year, if if I do say so myself. I think more than anything, what I've appreciated about this year is, you know, like with anything creative, there has to be an evolution. And I mm-hmm. think with the evolution that we made this year, we've really made made some really big strides to put out some really great material this year. Oh yeah, me too. I've really enjoyed going through the pros and cons because. 
especially with going through if we already have like an opinion on something, I think that it might be something that would be interesting for people to hear mm-hmm. is the fact that, hey, here's our opinion. Hey, we're going through the pros and cons. Hey, do we still feel the same way? Because I feel like a lot of people don't have those level of conversations, like even amongst their friends anymore. We get very much, um, and I know we keep talking about how we want to do this, but anchor bias and opinion bias are such a strong thing. Mm-hmm. And it makes you kind of not want to have these conversations. So I'm all for encouraging people to have these conversations. Like, it's okay to learn facts and change your mind about something. Indeed. I mean, it's it's you're not losing something if you admit to it. I mean, I, I think I brought up the example in the past of, you know, like in the in the 2000s when the Iraq war hit mm-hmm. and you had a lot of protesters on the left, you know, complaining about, you know, rich kids aren't going to war. And I was with them until, you know, until I took the time to think it out because we have an all volunteer army. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if rich kids go or not. They have the choice to go or not. You know, there is an argument to be said about um, predatory, um, you know, what, what do they call those? The recruiters. Yeah. You know, not all of them, of course, but there are recruiters that, you know, do kind of say something just to get somebody signed up, you know, and, and don't deliver the bill of goods, you know. And that is something um, I, I think could be looked at as well as, you know, them, you know, primarily primarily focusing on poor and minority-led neighborhoods. But again, my argument of, you know, rich people are going to war was ridiculous because we don't have a draft. It's all volunteer, and you have to be able to admit that. And the thing is, is like, sure, a lot of that volunteer does come from kids that want to be able to go out and do something. Like, right? Like, you go serve, there's the GI Bill, there's the ability to have college paid for Mm -hmm. if you're willing to serve. And statistically speaking... More people survive the military than don't survive the military. So when you think of it that way, it kind of makes sense. Because these are people that either can't afford college, can't get the loans for college. You know, so it kind of makes sense that they would be willing to trade this. Like, I will serve my country and then I will be able to go to college that way. So I think that's like one of those gateways and probably why wealthier kids don't necessarily sign up. They don't need to, Mm -hmm. right? Because if they can afford the education or at least can get the loans because of mom and dad's credit, they don't need to do that. Yeah. And, I mean, again, I think there is something to to be looked at in in terms of that as well. But, you know, again, the the point wasn't talking about that per se. It was uh, (laughs) was just about, oh, I know, we just, we digress. This is what we do. I know, I know. And, yeah, but you have to be open to changing your mind. Yeah, basically. But the fun part is here. The great thing about Spotify, what I like about it, and I know Apple Music has something similar, but it's not as fun. um, But what they will do at the end of the year is give you a, a top 100 list um, of the songs that you played all year with the number one track being the most played track. And um, I, we did this last year and I thought we uh, would t- take the time here to do it again this year because it was definitely fun to talk about music because music in a lot of ways can be therapeutic and, and there's just a lot of stories about why, you know, you listen to a certain track, you know. Exactly. So seeing what we have shuffled through repeated a lot i can tell you're right now i know why some of these songs are on here i'm <laughs> looking at mine because i am one of those people sometimes that i will just have a song in my head and i will obsessively listen to it over and over until i have like 
satiated the craving, so to speak. Like, you know, it's like when you really, really want chocolate cake and you end up eating a lot of chocolate cake for a while, then you're tired of chocolate cake. That kind of happens with me with music sometimes. Uh, same here. I mean, I know, um, like, two years ago, I had a lot of David Bowie on my list, but I think I've listened to too much David Bowie because I don't, I mean, apart from, like, under pressure, like, if, if it's a David Bowie song on, on my playlist, uh, you know, it, it'll be skip, skip. And that's not to say he's bad, of course, but to your point, if you listen to something a lot, it can get old. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, what we will do here is go through our list from uh, five on down to one. Um, and, you know, if we have some honorable mentions we want to throw in um, that are related to a particular choice or just ones that we want to throw in, we're going to do that. But Reverend, what is your number five? So, oh, I have to go backwards in order. Okay. <laughs> I thought we were going from one. It's like Casey Casey, number five number on the count. five. Well, um, <laughs> so I already know why this is on there, but it's Bonahomo by Johnny M. <clears throat> As mentioned a few times, I'm learning Esperanto. Um, one of the first episodes I was on, we talked about a Johnny N. album, and it may have actually been this one from Rigastilo. But Bonahomo means good human. Um, I listen to Johnny M. when I cook. Uh, I don't know what it is, like, Jared will know, the Mr. Reverend will know that I'm cooking if he hears Johnny M. going. Like, that's my cooking music. Uh, I do listen to him, like, occasionally, just on the side for fun, too. Sometimes at work, because listening to the music of the language you are trying to learn can help you learn it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get a catchy lyric, and then you look up what it means, and the next thing you know, you know it, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> bona homo. I, I can't even really tell you half of the words other than bona homo. Like, and I just know that means good human. <laughs> nice, nice. And yeah, one of these days, uh, the more comfortable you get with Esperanto, uh, maybe we will toss an invite his way. Yeah, that would be great. Because I actually think he's English speaking as well. So it wouldn't have to be all in Esperanto. Um, but yes, I am highly interested in having a conversation with Johnny M. I think he would be awesome to talk to and bring him on and possibly even go and nerd out a little bit about the history of Esperanto. So yeah, I, I do try to listen to it. There was another one that just barely came in at number six that was La Perdita Generatio, which is another Esperantan um, artist, mm. but they're more folk music. Uh, Johnny M. is reggae. So if you're interested in some quirky reggae from a skinny little white dude with dreadlocks, highly recommend some Johnny M. <laughs> Indeed, and we will make a playlist of the choices uh, th of that we bring up on this episode too. So you'll be able to find that song on Spotify or whatever yeah. music playlist, uh, music service you use, uh, and dive into there. But um, yeah, should I? Yeah, you're number five. My number five. Um, last year, it was actually an honorable mention, but uh, this year it went into the top five. And it's uh, from Frank Zappa, the title track from his uh, rock opera, Joe's Garage. And um, it's more the same like uh, from last year. I really love this because it, it this, it's the story of a band that gets together, plays their music, and, you know, it, it's to me it's like a celebration of creativity. You know, they're, they're at, the, at the end of the song, there's a bit where um, they say, uh, where, where, you know, they, I forgot the lyric, but um, they, they start playing the song in like a weird, quirky way. Like people are intentionally making mistakes to make it sound like it's like a band playing out of their garage and there's a mother, turn it down. But what I like about it is that in a way it encourages people to continue making your art, you know, like yeah. you don't have to be, um, 
you, you, do, comparing yourself to other people is just silly. Yeah. It really is. You know, like like if we, uh, friends talking nerdy, try to compare ourselves to Joe Rogan, um, you know, the, he has a lot of money and a lot of technological advancements that we don't have access to, um, to be able to pull off his show. And the, to do that, it's apples and pomegranates, you know. Um, but if we just focus on what we're doing right and be mindful of, you know, what we're doing wrong, the more we do this, the better we're going to get. And I think the results definitely speak for themselves. But... It's a fun song. Um, Frank Zappa is a unique character in uh, rock history, um, and he his work is not always digestible by the masses. So let's put it that way. But Joe's Garage is a fun track. Nice. So I'll go into my number four then. All right. So my number four is pretty much on here for the exact same reason I said at the top of the show. This is one of those songs that I heard it once. I just craved listening to it and started listening to it over and over for like, I think, a week. So it's funny because I can't think of the last time I listened to it. But it's How Far I'll Go by Alicia Cara, I think is how you say her name, but basically it's like the the main song from Moana. Hmm. And I haven't seen it, but man, I do love the anthem songs that they come out with, that they design, that somebody writes for a lot of like these cartoon shows, especially that have like that protagonist character, particularly of the feminine nature. Like they normally have like a really awesome anthemy song. This one just was an earworm for me for a while, and I just wanted to listen to it on repeat, and that is exactly what I did. <laughs> Zero excuse. Like this didn't just like come up on a playlist because these, I believe, are all stuff that you've either put on a personally made playlist. Because I do listen to a lot of lo-fi, so I was honestly kind of surprised none of that came up. Because I know it repeats a lot of the songs on especially like Lo-Fi Girl, which is the the chick with the cat. She has a YouTube as well, but she also has a Spotify live list. So I was honestly kind of surprised when that came up. But I know why this one came up, and it was just because of that week or two that I could not get enough of this song. <laughs> and that's usually how it goes. I mean, like like you mentioned, I mean, a good song is kind of like an earworm. I mean, it will get stuck in your head. It's bad when bad songs are also triggered the earworm uh, phenomenon. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, to each their own. I'm not a Disney movie fan myself. You know, even though your response should have been, "Well, Tim, The Rock is in Moana." <laughs> oh gosh, I actually forgot The Rock was in Moana. Like, isn't he the "You're Welcome" guy or what? I don't remember. Because, yeah, I haven't seen it. Like, that's just kind of funny. But I do like the psychology of music behind it. And what's really nice about these kinds of songs is typically they have a very positive message. You're not going to be like... Like, me, you, and the Mr. Reverend were talking about on a walk the other day of, like, how songs can kind of have these really depressing messages in them. And they had done some studies back in either... I forget off the top of my head. It was either the 60s or the 70s that says, well, the lyrics matter. So I guess one of the reasons I love these is I know I'm not getting some message snuck into my head that I don't want. Yeah. Like typically it is about, it's a song that's about empowerment. It's a song about either owning yourself or pushing through a challenge. So that's why for me, these are so easy to glam onto and then just listen to uh, at almost nauseam. I'm so glad that it's like not how it used to be when you used to love a song. 
Like, and you didn't always have, like, headphones or earbuds or anything like that. So I can at least keep it more to myself than when I used to do, like, the same thing back in high school or whatever, right? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, the kids today don't realize how well they have it when it comes to accessing music. I mean, man, I, that, you know, I told you the little story about what I had to do back in the 80s um, in terms of getting blank cassettes and hoping and just hoping that I was at home at the right time when the radio DJ played my favorite song so I could record it directly from the radio. I also did that. Like, that is something that I can relate to. Um, That was something that's funny. One of the trends on TikTok recently was talking about something that existed in your childhood that doesn't anymore. (laughs) And one thing one person had said was the ability to call into a radio station, ask for your song to be played, and then be ready to record it. So that was one way of getting those songs, like, back in the day. And then we had, like, what, LimeWire, Napster. That kind of opened up a whole other world of ability and access to stuff. I mean, not... (laughs) The artists weren't fans of it, or at least not their you know, managers and people who wanted to make sure the money was made from the songs. But at least it gave the message that there's demand for this. There's demand for a la carte songs. Like, I love Dolly Parton as a human. Oh, I'm going to say something that's going to make some people mad. But I don't like a lot of her actual songs, though. Like, I've noticed that. I've tried. Like, because as much as I liked her, I was like, yeah, I'll just pop on a Dolly Parton station. And I'm changing it back to one of my playlists. Like, it was no offense. Apparently, I really love her as a human and 9 to 5. Those are the two. That's like, I love Dolly Parton as a human being. And that one song is one of those earworms that I'll totally be on for sometimes. Not even Jolene. I don't really care for Jolene. Mm. I know, because that's another one that's very popular, but that was one of those popular ones like, I could take it or leave it. Like, <laughs> uh, and, and to be fair, I'm not t- saying this as like a massive Dolly Parton fan myself. I'm probably in the same boat. Or, you know, she's one of those music artists that just a couple of songs I, I like. Nine to five, I loathe. <laughs> because when I was, I mean, when that came out in the early 80s, like that's, you know, when I first started, you know, having memories and all that stuff. And, you know, my mother was into pop country at the time. And nine to five was just constantly fucking playing and it wouldn't stop. Oh, gosh. See, and I understand that, too. I don't know. That's actually one of the songs I have uh, practiced for one day actually going and doing karaoke again. Because mm. I would totally rock that song. Um, I think it's a fun <laughs> song. The movie it's based off of is fucking hilarious. Like, Or maybe it's the other way around. Like, I'm not sure what order that was. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if she did the song for the movie. No, she did the song for the movie. Okay, so the the movie was written, the song was done for the movie. So there we go. I guess that answers my question there. But I did try to watch it. It was on a flight <laughs> one time, and I'm like, I just kept leaning over to the mystery room. I was like, oh my god, baby, this movie's so terrible. Like, it's bad. Like, it's it's funny bad, but it's bad. <laughs> uh, movies uh, have definitely changed in terms of what people want out of a movie. And and also, too, comedy just doesn't age well. Comedy, yeah. for the most part, doesn't. Like, um, you know, I was watching an old Cheech and Chong movie with somebody. They wanted me to watch it. And they were like, this is the funniest. I remember I haven't seen this since I was a kid. And then we put it on and just crickets. And I think Cheech and Chong are funny, but just crickets because we expect different things from humor now. Oh, yeah. 
completely. Like, mm. even watching things in the wrong order can kind of ruin the humor on it. Like, I know I saw Clerks in the wrong order. Mm. Like, I saw Clerks the cartoon, <laughs> and then I tried to watch Clerks the movie. And, like, for a while there, I was just so set that Clerks the movies just weren't that good. And then after I had had some time away from it, watched them again, I'm like, oh, okay, no, these are funny. And that could be because I got older, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe I related a little bit more to the Dante you know, I wasn't supposed to be here today, Dante. <laughs> but uh, then I did, like, the cartoon with, like, the, the carnival folks that came through and, like, kind of the craziness that they really went off on with some of the cartoon. But, yeah, so, anywho, how far I'll go. And the huge digression that that was, talking about earworms in general, is <laughs> my number four. That's why I love this show. All right, my number four here is off of the Monkees' last album called Good Times, which was released in 2016. It's a song called Me Magdalena, um, written by Ben Gibbard, uh, the lead singer for Death Cab for Cutie. Um, it, it, the album was great overall because it did have a number of like modern artists writing songs for them, plus they had some unreleased material from the 60s that um, they did new versions of. But for a while, I sat back and wondered why this was in my top five, you know, because it's kind of a melancholy song. Um, about, uh, it, I mean, the lead singer um, of the song, Michael Nesmith, was in his 70s when he sang it so you can't help but interpret you know when you're hearing a 70 year old guy talking about you know being in love you know that maybe he's not talking about actually being in love in the moment he's reminiscing about a past love and all that and you know after thinking about my past year it's like oh that's why I'm (laughs) enjoying this song a little too much Um, again it's a really really great song kind of just a low key, just mellow, just but beautiful harmonies between Nesmith and uh, Mickey Dolans, um, and just one I can't recommend enough. Nice, nice. All right, your number three. My number three is another Johnny M song called Duncan, which is thank you, and it's like me more less dearie Duncan. Like I, that one, I actually know more of it, and it just says I want to say thank you. Is uh, Mi Volas de Duncan. So, again, I think this just goes to show how often I cook because <laughs> if I know that that is the primary time that I listen to Johnny M, is when I'm cooking. And I'm like, yep, this is from my Johnny M, my cooking playlist right here. So, mm. I mean, not too much more to expand on that. I'm a little bit of a nerd. I'm like trying to learn Esperanto. And um, Johnny M is an awesome, funny kind of reggae guy, like very lighthearted, positive. It's another one of those things, by the way, um, especially when songs are in another language, right? Like that can kind of give that, well, what message is going to my brain? What am I piping in? But he's another one that so far, all of his stuff is inherently positive. Mm-hmm. Like um, he has a song like Por Mi Padro, which is for his dad, Mi Volestiri Duncan or Duncan right here, which is another good one. Bono Homo, which is good human. Um, gosh, like, Bam Bam is just about how he's a vegan, and that one's even kind of funny, and he talks about, like, you know, (laughs) part of his reason is, you know, the cow farts are ruining the, uh, environment, (laughs) like, bovine something, I forget what the word was for fart, (laughs) but it does, like, totally make a a fart sound, like, (laughs) So just listening to Johnny M in general, like, of course, I'm not surprised at all that two of them wound up in my top five. Nice. Well, speaking of that, 
Got a second entry from the Monkees. The number three choice is a song uh, from their original run in the 60s called The Girl I Knew Somewhere. And uh, this actually has a little bit of history, personal history behind it uh, as to why I listened to it uh, uh, this year. Um, I was in a nostalgic mood because Friends Talking Nerdy being uh, five years old and also us knowing each other for five years, I was in a nostalgic mood. And then I had a fiction class in college. And one of the things was to write a story. And I thought... I got it write the story and whatnot, but um, I wrote, I, I won't get into detail about what I wrote, I guess, but it was kind of like a fictionalized tale of, you know, one of our first meetings. Yes. And, um, you know, but the, the but the reason I chose this title is that, um, you know, this song actually in a way, you know, and you've already kind of mentioned it somewhat about, you know, programming, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a way kind of helped, you know, clear my head of, you know, just anger and silliness and all that stuff because, um, you know, there was a time yeah, we were angry, blah, blah, blah. But there was, but at the time to where I was just realized, just the clarity was coming into my head. You know, I, I was listening to music a lot and yeah. this song came up and, you know, there was a line in there, like, if your love is not a game, I've only got myself to blame. And it made me realize that, yeah, I think I was kind of feeding my anger by, you know, listening to like sad country songs or angry songs or something like that. And, you know, the more I kind of shifted away from staying away from that type of stuff the more I was able to kind of open up and be honest with myself you know and you know <laughs> you know spoiler alert happy ending here everybody but you know um, th that's the history behind that that's why I chose the title for that story and you know it's, it's just it's just a really really good song nice so uh, I go on to my number two number two number two for me for the reverend is razzle dazzle <laughs> by Richard Gere um, and that was basically trying to get a bunch of timing and stuff that wound up kind of in my playlist a lot for October. And on the show. And on the show, um, even though we never wound up using the song or the recording. I was super bummed about that. It just never came to fruition with The Haunt. Um, it's kind of funny because really the main reason, and I don't think either one of the owners listened to this show, but if they did, I just want to preface <laughs> that I'm not upset about it at all was that we were talking about it, and one of the owners is a little bit more on the creative and sees that it's actually about entertaining in general. It's not just about the haunt and just about the boo scaries and making people pee themselves. Mm -hmm. So one of them saw the value in doing this as this kind of silly video idea. But when it got brought up in front of the other one, he kind of accidentally poo-pooed it. Like, he didn't tell me I couldn't do it or anything. It was just, like, the weird, like, attitude around it. Just kind of made me go... All right, nope, I don't need to put energy here then. I'm not going to gather a bunch of actors and then, like, have them see it be like, take that down. Like, not that I actually think he would have done that, but it was kind of funny. So, yeah, I was working on the parody version of Razzle Dazzle for the haunt that I was going to do. Well, I did do, but it just never wound up actually becoming a thing on the website and being produced. But, uh, so, yeah, I mean, and I am a sucker. I like Chicago. I do love musicals. Um, I think Chicago was definitely, in my opinion, one of the more successful musicals that went to, to movie. Um, I think they did a really great job with it. Vocal coaching for like Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones and Richard Gere himself, like, because they wanted them to sing the parts, mm -hmm. right? And there's like a bunch of songs on this soundtrack that are worthy to bring up, like Mr. Cellophane, I still think is an amazing song. And John C. Riley. Yeah, John C. Riley. that's right, I couldn't think of his name, but he was another one, because again, they wanted them to sing their own songs. 
but they wanted big names on the movie, so they had to give them vocal coaching. And I feel like that's kind of what sort of led to that trend of if you're going to be in the movie, you're not going to have someone else pretending to be your voice anymore. Like, look at Melissa McCarthy. Like, as much as some people have kind of made fun of the fact that she's playing Ursula, you know, in the newer, like, live-action Ariel... I'm excited about it. I think she has more range than people give her credit for. Is actually something my brother and I got into it about because he seems to just have this disdain for anything she touches. It's like, well, she always plays the same character. And I even pointed out, I was like, okay, but Chris, how many times have you seen any of her movies? Like, how many of her movies or shows have you actually seen? Because she has range. In St. Vincent, um, playing alongside Bill Murray. Totally different character than Tammy. Um, where she was kind of this very rambunctious person, which I would say is closer to what people stereotype her for. I think the problem with her, and I found this out recently, is that the movies that people stereotype her with the most, nine times out of ten, are directed by her husband. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a thing to where, you know, she wants to give him work or something like that, but, you know, it's, it's not showing her, I guess, in the best of light to certain people. Now, the argument could be said that maybe those people wouldn't like her anyway in, in different types of roles, and that's okay, you know, because you don't have to appreciate the work of every artist. Just don't be oh, a dick about it. Exactly. You know? And see, and from my perspective and when I kind of looked into it is like, you know, all of our quote-unquote fat actors that are women are kind of disappearing. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know if you've seen what Rebel Wilson looks like lately, but not going to be the the funny fat girlfriend, right? Because that's where the typecasting can happen, and it's really hard to get out of that. People don't want to accept a larger woman as, like, your romantic interest. I mean, we've gotten better about it. But there's still a lot of pushback to kind of pigeonhole certain types of actors and body types and looks into being in certain positions and not wanting to open them up. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's not even exclusive to larger women. It even goes to people like Robin Williams for a while could not be taken seriously as a role. And then he did one hour photo and totally opened up people to the fact that he could be more than the funny guy that's going to make you laugh. Well, he did um, lots of drama before that. I mean, he won the Oscar for Goodwill Hunting in 97, and that was before One Hour Photo. But I, I get your point. Um, one Hour Photo, though, is more of a thriller. Oh, it, right. He was the villain. And I think, yeah, people didn't want to see Robin Williams as someone that was scary. But him doing that, yeah. you know, um, showed, showed his range as an actor. Exactly. And I just think, you know, more people kind of see him as you know the funny guy like even in mrs doubtfire even though that had a beautiful message mm -hmm. and was in a way a serious movie he still made it funny and other than goodwill hunting i can't think of that much that he did that was considered like a great great movie where it was like him as the focus because even goodwill hunting like yes he was in it but there were also other like stars that were in it that would have had some draw as well. He wasn't, like, just the main person. Dead Poet Society. Yeah, Dead Poet Society. Good Morning too. Vietnam. I mean, he, he's he's done some... He's done some, yeah. Yeah, but he's, he got more known as the funny guy mm -hmm. for a while there. So it could be because of my experience with him was, you know, I'm younger than you. Mm -hmm. So when I really caught on to Robin Williams, like, the first thing I remembered was... Mrs. Doubtfire, Aladdin, um, yeah. even Patch Adams, serious, but he was a humor. He was a deflection with humor. 
So Yeah, I think in the 90s he was a little guilty of doing what Steve Martin did for the longest time in movies, you know, taking money, you know, taking the the role for a paycheck, essentially. Um, Not that he necessarily thought it was bad or anything, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he knew that, you know, certain movies were just going to be, you know, great for six months and then people would forget about it. But anyway... My number two here, uh, it's from Warren Zevon, and the first time I heard it, I had a, I had to laugh my ass off. It's called A Certain Girl. It's um, a, a cover of an old R&B song from the early 60s, and oddly enough, too, a group called The Yardbirds. Uh, that was one of their uh, first actual in-studio recordings as well. Um, I'm sure you don't know who The Yardbirds no, are, but <laughs> um, Eric Clapton was in, in the group at the time and uh, played lead, lead guitar on that. And the Yardbirds eventually morphed into the band Led Zeppelin. Um, but uh, what I loved about it is the opening line of, uh, there's a certain girl who I, I've been in love with a long, long time. And the background singers are like, what's her name? And the Warren Zevon's like, I can't tell you. Oh, <laughs> so it's a little bit goofier of a song. It's goofy, but it's a solid rock track. And what I like about it more than anything, too, I mean, it's the perfect encapsulation of what it can be like when you're shy, um, presumably younger. I mean, the, what the song was in the 60s and when it was made as an R&B hit, it was meant for a younger audience. And, you know, how younger people like I had friends that were women that I would have loved for them to, you know, show interest in me. But I was just, you know, glad for that. And I loved I, I just think this song, in a, in a positive way, yeah. kind of encapsulates that feeling of, you know, being attracted to somebody, but just not having the courage to, you know, step up and go the extra route. But uh, Warren Zevon, definitely underrated. If, are you familiar with Werewolves of London? Uh, ish. Yeah, yeah. He's, okay. He's responsible for that. Um, okay. He's he sadly he's gotten more known since he passed away, um, but um, but yeah, it does happen that way sometimes though. Yeah. Yeah, sadly, but uh, but great song, great song. Now. We're up to your number one. Did you have any others you want to throw in as honorable mentions? Yeah, honorable mentions. I'm going to put these out there because, yeah, they're I, I think they're great. Like so, first of all. This one, honorable mention, I wanted to bring up because it's on my at least top ten, um, is equally one of my favorite spooky season songs. And it's also doubles as an Easter song. And it's called Night of the Living Christ by Schaefer the Dark Lord. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the one, uh, the nerdcore artist that we had gotten the uh, the privilege of speaking to um, at one point, she knows Schaefer the Dark Lord, right? Didn't she mention that she had actually done some stuff with them? And I think I found some stuff later. Mm-hmm. So Schaefer the Dark Lord, if you're into nerdcore at all or just kind of like goofier music, I highly recommend him in general. He is funny. He has this whole Dark Lord persona that he plays. And it's it's just hilarious. This song is not really as much of that persona Um, It is just kind of his dark sense of humor in song format. And basically what it's about is it starts off kind of cheery and it starts talking about, you know, some say the Savior once lived, like, over however many years ago between B.C. and A.D. Like, he goes into this whole, like, telling the story of Jesus, like, up until his death. And then it goes, you can believe that on the day he met his fate or you can believe he came back three days later. You can believe that he shall return again. 
um, to like something about redemption and the the judgment of men, and then like at that point it goes dunk dunk dunk, and then like everything takes they they do like a shift in key change to make it feel eerily dark, and then he basically goes into the you know he won't descend from the heavens he'll emerge from the earth with blood in his eyes and nails full of dirt like talking about how Jesus is going to come back as a zombie. And it even has a little bit of political commentary. Mm-hmm. Like, he talks about the Westboro Baptist Church. He doesn't call them out. He just said those pricks in Texas who picket, fun- who picket gay funerals. Like, I thought they were in Kansas. No. Let me double check. Go on. Okay. I was pretty sure those picket, yeah. the I thought that was in Texas somewhere. Like, go ahead and look that up. But, yeah, like, he talks about the prick who pickets gay funerals, and he was talking about Westboro. Topeka, Kansas. Topeka, Kansas. I stand corrected, and I'm okay with that. Well, then I have to figure out what the lyric was about Texas, because he was talking about another church group in Texas. So I might be getting the name confused with another one. To be clear, though, um, the, the that group, the Westboro, does travel across the country to oh, do their protests. Okay. So Maybe it's, that's may why. Yeah, okay, yeah. so if they were there, then that's why I'm getting it confused with them being from Texas. I'm like, why don't anybody travel to Texas to pick it? But I guess if you're that that family, you would. But, um, but yeah, so that was an honorable mention. The other one that's an honorable mention that also goes to kind of the earworm, like it's one of those that, it was really funny because I couldn't remember what the fuck the song was or any of the lyrics for the longest time it was just the the little synthetic music thingy a synthesizer beat in my head and it drove me crazy and then just one day i'm like i remember some of the words and was able to go find the song added it to one of my all-time favorite playlists and it's called only you by yazoo and i first heard this song i want to say it was in season one of stranger things and I just think it's a very, it's a cute song. Like, it was between, like, Eleven and I forget who it was that she actually got with. Was it Mike, possibly? Because sometimes I get the boys' names mixed up. But it's, like, kind of their little cutesy love song from, like, them, you know, finally having a moment at one point. So very cute stuff. Any honorable mentions for you? Um, I will mention it before I go with my number one. But what is your number oh, okay. one? So my number one... Absolutely no surprise to me because I almost want to go back and see if it was my number one last year was I put a spell on you from Hocus Pocus. (laughs) I love Bette Midler. This is one of those songs that it is on my spooky season playlist. And I, I, I mean, I would honestly this year, I know I would drop Tim off after having like a night at the haunt and pretty much the whole drive back. I'm listening and singing. I put a spell on you. Like, the whole way home. It is probably one of my favorite songs of all times. And I love Bette Midler. It goes back to I love her character in that movie. I know that's one that you weren't particularly a fan of. (laughs) But it even goes to, I'm pretty sure Hocus Pocus flopped initially. And it's one of those that kind of got their cult following after the fact. Mm -hmm. And then it was really double awesome this year because then they came out with Hocus Pocus 2 that I wound up being incredibly impressed by. Somebody who, when you're a fan of a movie, it can be kind of bittersweet when they go to reboot it or even remake it, but particularly if they try to do it as a sequel like they did this one, I was super nervous about it. And the only thing was, is like, man, like, they did try to do the thing where they took, like, a more modern song and let the 
let the witches sing it because, you know, that was Bette Midler's character, Winifred. She charmed by song, right? Like, that was how she put spells on people. And they, I don't even remember what song they did. I just remember going like, oh, this is no, I put a spell on you. <laughs> like, um, I, I get, they were trying, it felt like a little bit of a formula for them. You know what I mean? Like, trying to meet certain things. And I, I felt like part of their formula was to have Winifred take a song, make it into a spell thing. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you. That I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna get you, get you, get you, get one you. Way or one way another. or another. There we go. Yeah. That song. That's the one they did. And I'm like, that was all right, but it, it just no, it just didn't compare to the original song that she used, which was "I Put a Spell on You." And I guess actually, to be fair, all of the Sanderson sisters. Um, I don't know about Mary because I don't remember her ever singing. But the other girl played by Sarah Jessica Parker actually did have a song so I'm correcting myself because she did that Come Little Children song and in the first movie that's actually what drew the children away mm. was her singing so they I think they all have it I just don't think we've ever actually seen Mary do it now that I think about it but uh, yeah zero surprise that this is up there in my in my top num- yeah it made number one <laughs> and I totally understand why <laughs> Uh, and it's interesting you talk about, uh, you know, and I brought it up in the past, too, how it was initially a flop. Uh, Matt Damon, on all, of all people, was on a, a YouTube show called Hot Takes, um, where, you know, celebra- celebrities are interviewed while they eat, like, spicy chicken wings. And he talked about how the movies have changed because physical media has gone away. There was a time in the past to where you could have a movie fail, like Austin Powers. The first Austin Powers movie was a failure at the box office, but it found its audience through home video and uh, through cable, and then from there um, got the second one greenlit. But, you know, if we have a movie that fails today, maybe it goes to streaming, but it's no guarantee that it's going to, you know, find find an audience uh, there anyway, too, because if it failed in one thing, they're, you know, they're not going to put it in, in, you know, put it on a different platform to fail again. Yep, another famous flop was Rocky Horror Picture Show. And that has the definition of cult following. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they'll have people go and, and, you know, play it in theaters. And then they'll have, like, the actor people that they hire to come, like, kind of do a little bit of a stage show with it. And there's jokes and pranks and all this stuff. Like, but it was an absolute flop when it came out. So. Yeah, just uh, if you go to one of those shows, make sure the person you're going with doesn't out you as being a virgin to watching those shows because they do have fun things to the virgins of the show. Yes, and see, that's like literally the one reason I have never gone <laughs> is because either I don't know anybody who's been that could help get me out of some of that awkwardness or the people that I do know I could really see thinking that it's funny. And it's like, there's a lot about my my anxiety and stuff that I'm very good at. That sounds like a fucking nightmare for me. Like, Uh, no. Yeah. I'll tell you, uh, when I was at Wizard World Comic Con 2017, they had a late night showing of Rocky Horror with the Clinton Street Theater in Portland, Oregon. uh, Played Barry Bostwick. Um, Brad from the movie was actually there. Oh, nice. Yeah, and um, but the, what they did there, and I guess this is the tradition for the virgins of the crowd, um, is that they would bring them up on stage. They would have to lie down with like their legs up, like they were in stirrups or something like that, and then have uh, a donut hole p- placed on their waist, and then somebody would have to eat the donut hole without their hands. Oh God! <laughs> and like the awkward part is Barry Bostwick had to perform with that, and where he ate the donut hole, but it was with the seventeen-year-old. Girl. <laughs> oh no no 
no, no. See, there's like certain things that I think should have a pass. Like, especially if it's intentionally going to be raunchy, which that's just that. That was a raunchy joke. Yeah. Um, maybe don't do that on minors. Uh. Yeah. But, uh, the overall, though, it was fun. But yeah, you probably wouldn't want to go with me because I'd probably be the one over here. Oh, God, no. <laughs> See, I'd have to have somebody who actually understands and respects <laughs> the whole like like no 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 I it's a leap for me to come here anyway because it's gonna be a lot of people being loud on purpose which I'm not necessarily good with all the time like I can get into it but I can't feel like I'm being made fun of like that one's just one that I just don't think that recipe would go super well I well I, I would say this I, I've seen uh, Rocky Horror with a crowd a few times um, actually know somebody uh, Alex Chappelle um, who I used to work with at Best Buy she um, actually t- um, in her local area does uh, the works with a group similar to the Clint Street Players. So she's commonly goes out as Janet or Brad or whoever they need mm-hmm. her to be. Um, overall, it is a really fun, positive experience. You know, um, you know, I, I was joking, of course, but I wouldn't do the over here, over here thing. But, you know, I'm sure you would probably just have the Mr. Reverend sitting in between us. And he's a former Marine. So if I did try to do that, I'd have my arm broken. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll just get that done. To me, I just always thought it was funny that Susan Strandon was Janet. Like, it took me such a long time to recognize that there was, like, another big person in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. So, anywho. So, that all being said, my number one, I put a spell on you. Um, I love that song. Not not ashamed to say that I love that song. All right. Well, my number. I'm gonna go list the number one first because my honorable mention actually kind of ties into the number one, and this is related to the haunt. It is a song called Rest in Peace. It is the theme song to The Undertaker, a WWE wrestler, if you are not familiar. Um, And what I, the reason that's on the top of the list is that when I worked at The Haunt, uh, at the start of it, like I mentioned on the show that we did, you know, when I first started there, I had one idea of what I wanted my character to be. And to get into that mood, I would just listen to the song on repeat just over and over again, you know, to where I was the big, angry, blah, blah, blah type of guy. And that did good to a point, but I also noticed that I really wasn't getting the scares that I wanted to see. So I switched over to a different song when, you know, I switched the, when I thought, you know, hey, if my character's dead, he should be happy. People could potentially be going in and getting killed too. So there's the honorable mention kind of ties in with the number one because I, I switched from listening to that number one song to this. And it's from the Batman soundtrack from 1989 uh, by Danny Elfman. It's called Waltz to the Death. Mm -hmm. Um, And just it's kind of like circus music. It's played near the end of the movie when the Joker is trying to dance with Vicky Vale. Um, But Vicky notices that Batman is up there and she's trying to position him so Batman can get him. But it's just kind of a crazy song. I mean, it's like I said, it's played kind of like a circusy song, um, but it has a menace to it, which I really liked as well, which, you know, with the the character of the Joker being, uh, you know, being what that song was for, I felt, you know, fit perfectly. And, you know, once I started listening to that song, I got a lot more screams out of people. And I did have to, I did lose my voice for a couple of days, but (laughs) it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. But yeah, that was our year in music. Yeah, um, and that was, did you have an honorable mention you said went with your number that one That was well? the honorable mention, oh, Waltz gotcha. to the Death. Waltz to the Death, okay, there we go. Yep. So, yeah, um, a great little tradition here, second time uh, we have done this, and I think if we remember, we will do this again next year. Um, the most important thing, though, is really 
listen to music. Music is beautiful. Music can get you pumped up for something. People in in a lot of ways too. Music can be therapeutic. You know, yeah. listening to a song can you know help you process uh, emotions, good or bad. You know, and and just just listen to music and, and explore too. I think one thing I wanted to do for the new year, not as a resolution, but just try to trying to um, you know branch out is not necessarily because I have like one playlist with uh, all my favorite songs on there, and I generally just listen to that playlist. Yeah. And I want to branch out a little bit. I'm not going to throw away that playlist or anything, because if I like the songs, that's a good thing. You should be able to listen to them, but there is something to be said about trying to find other new things as well, so. Yeah, and then I always put the caveat of listen responsibly. Like, if you... I, I do kind of understand listening to a song on purpose to kind of elicit and work through an emotion. But if you're obsessing with a song and then you realize you're kind of obsessing with this mood or this effect that it has on you to the point that you're not able to really function so well, maybe it's time to back off the song. Exactly. I also am not the biggest fan of just blind listening. And that is really public radio. Uh, There is a lot of songs with either very codependent, clingy overtones. Some of them are even kind of stocky. A lot of them have some anger. Right, and some even actually kind of, I think personally, glorify some of the anxiety and depression a little too much. So if you are somebody who is kind of aware of the fact that maybe you're a little angrier than you'd want to be, a little more depressed than you'd want to be, a little more codependent than you want to be, I would encourage you, deep dive into the lyrics of your songs. Because, yeah, there are actual factual studies that have been done that say it very much matters what is being said not just the tune of the music. And actually, what's funny is, oh, well, since I like the tune, I'll just listen to an instrumental version of it, right? Wrong! If you already know the words and your brain has made a relationship to it, they did that in the study as well, where they went back and listened to instrumental versions of the same song that had like more depressive music. It still affected their mood in that depressive turn. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, you may have already ruined a melody for yourself, like oh. uh, whether you like it or not. But yeah, like, try to indulge in some intentional listening, like intentional music. And that's what's great is you can build playlists. Like, that's straight up what I do. Uh, I think not listening to public radio and not listening to just basically the random play of whatever some person decided they wanted us to listen to, I have done better on a mental health level. Because I'm not just having random unvetted messages piped into my brain. Right, so that's why it's like I'm more of a playlist person than a a curated playlist. Like I make my playlist. I don't do a lot of like just listening um, to ones that are made up by random people or made of the top of so and so or whatever. That's why it's like yeah, lo-fi beats because you know there's no words there, so I'm I'm good with that one. And uh, yeah, fun runs. Fun runs are typically good ones too because it's going to be a lot of those Anthony songs. So uh, yeah, branch out your music, but also investigate the stuff that you've been listening to. Especially, you know, like I mentioned, we mentioned the mental health aspect a lot. So if you do struggle with anything, and especially if you are an avid music listener, maybe do some self-diagnosis and dig into there and see if there's anything that's causing this mood that you already have decided you don't like. 
I, yeah, I mean, I, like I told you from my own experience, it definitely helped me once I, you know, shifted from listening to different types, you know, mm-hmm. from angry, from sad to depressive types of music to something a little yeah. more on the positive side, you know. And that doesn't mean, you know, listening to Celine Dion all the time. <laughs> it means... Or Disney anthems. <laughs> or, or, yeah, something like that. I mean, you can... It, 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 takes, it takes work, but not that much. I mean, it, it could be something as simple, too, as, you know, looking... Like Spotify, for instance, has, you know, if you like this artist, you might like this. Mm-hmm. Or um, they will have, like, playlists of, you know, if you like rock music, they'll have a rock playlist. A lot of it will be tracks you already listen to, but they'll throw in some other stuff that um, you, you don't as well. So just take the time to investigate. I mean, what the, the best thing that will happen is that you'll find a new band, new music that you'll love and uh, tell the world about. Yes, and then the other thing I'm definitely not saying is that it's never useful to listen to songs that make you feel feelings. Please don't hear that from what I'm saying, because definitely not. I'm just saying, if it's going to be in the background of your life, maybe it is worth it to curate that a little bit for yourself, rather than leaving it up to somebody's random shuffle list that they made and you don't know the message is going in. And then listen to those songs that like elicit emotion for you like on purpose, intentionally. And that way you can kind of like have a little bit more of a little bit of control over how your moods are going for a day, especially if you kind of feel like one of those people that says that they are quote unquote a slave to their emotions. Because I've met a lot of people like that and I can't help but speculate and wonder if that music habit that we, but most people have is somehow contributing to that. So, yeah, see see how you can change your music to this year and see if your top five, top 100 changes next year. Indeed, indeed. And, yeah, it is it is important to be mindful of that, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I think we'll wrap it up here unless you have anything else you want to say. Wrapping up our unwrapped. I think I'm fine with this. See you. <laughs> all right. And with that, uh, we thank you all very much. Each Saturday we'll have something in this podcast space to entertain your ear holes until we meet again next year. We bid you adieu. I put a spell on you. <laughs> Subscribe to Friendstock Unity on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friendstock Unity on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.